It's time for episode 208 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Tuesday, September 26, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where we never suffer from timeout errors. I'm your host, Dan Morin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. Micah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's a little steamy here. We're getting our, like, uh, our it's-not-quite-fall-yet break in, in Boston where it jumped back to the 80s for some reason. So, delightful, I guess. <laughs> I'm feeling that same way. I just want it to turn cold, and it's not cold I, enough I know. Yet. We had our fall conversation a couple weeks ago, so we're both ready for it. We're so ready. Uh, this is, of course, the show where we talk about four tech topics with two wonderful guests. To my left, you may know her from many different podcasts and other places. You also may know her as the editor-in-chief of the Super Site for Windows. Lisa Schmeiser is here. Hi, Lisa. Hello. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And to my left is Cards Against Humanity magician, co-host of Roboism, <laughs> right on Relay, and due by Friday, it's the one and only Alexandra Cox. Dun, 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 dun. How are you doing, <laughs> Alex? You know, it's 90 degrees in Chicago, oh, and I'm really ah. grumpy because I can't wear my cardigans yet. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm going to kick things off with the first topic this week. Uh, the Apple should make a television argument has reared its head once again, thanks to an article by Neelay Patel over at The Verge. My question for you guys is, would you be interested in an Apple-branded TV? What would it take to sell you on such a device? Lisa, what do you think? Give it to me. I'm not going <laughs> to buy it. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> TVs are toasters at this point. Um, you know, they, 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 we've, we've basically maxed out on the number of things that you can do with a screen. And, and while people will be all, oh, but it has this sort of resolution and you can get a frillion jillion colors and even <laughs> mantis shrimps can't see the range that you'll be able to see. <laughs> and also have we mentioned that we framed it like it's in the Louvre. Um, you can do all that, but at the end of the day, you're facing two things. One, it's still basically a screen you look at and two the way people watch entertainment on screens is shifting um look at the netflix model or even look at apple itunes where you can start a movie on a screen but then you finish it on an ipad or you've got people watching things on their own small personal devices so why would why would or why should apple bother getting into the commodity appliance business when they can spend so much more time interest and resources going into markets that are already not at the top of their technical and interface game. Mm. I think that's very well said. Uh, you know, Apple just sort of, it seems, got out of the the display game in terms of, of having that big thing that you sit on your desk. I loved my Thunderbolt monitor, and I was hoping that Apple was going to release a newer version of that, and then they just partnered with, what was it LG, I think, yeah. uh, to come out with that display. And it made me sad, but the fact is, it was pretty much what a Thunderbolt monitor would have been. It had the built-in mic and, and webcam. It had the little hub built into the back of it. It had all that stuff. Uh, it just wasn't made by Apple. And so it seems like as much as it would be something that I would 
maybe, maybe want. It's not something that I'm going to get. And honestly, when it comes to televisions, yeah, that technology, it seems to be changing quite a bit. And people... I would rather be able to update more frequently than to have to wait a long time to be able to update again, because of course, Apple's television would cost up a trillion dollars, and I don't want to spend that every single, you know, two years. So I go for like the, the TCL or whatever it is, the one that the wire cutter recommends, and that way I can upgrade more frequently, uh, because it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. So Apple, you know, just keep focusing on the cool things you make right now, maybe, and, uh, just stray away from the cars and the TVs. <laughs> you know, I don't think that Apple is going to make a TV. I don't know why they would. Uh, but that said, I would buy it in a heartbeat. There, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I'm not, I'm not. I don't have any illusions. I'm going to be waiting in line for the. Oh, I'm sorry, the iPhone 10. Um, I'm I'm going to buy every single new watch. That that said, I have tons of friends, and I know it's all anecdotal that still love their like second generation Apple TVs because TVs are uh, a, a commodity, so they don't upgrade for years and years. And I used a Thunderbolt display up until I purchased um, an LG Retina display, and it's total garbage. To to the point that I almost went back to my old Apple display because it's just so finicky and icky. And, and that's the exact same th thing that I have felt with every TV I've had. And now I have it with a monitor. So the second Apple releases a theoretical television, even if it does not have like the crazy best 4K, the crazy b best uh, HDR specs, I would definitely get it. I, I'm kind of with Alex here. Um, I do think it's unlikely that they'll make one because, as Lisa and Mike were saying, the, it's become so commoditized. It's a low-margin business. It's not the traditional kind of area where Apple tends to go in. But there is a huge advantage because they can do the the control of the whole widget, which is, I think, the biggest problem with these set-top boxes you see now. No matter how good your Roku or your, your Fire TV or your Apple TV gets, it's always limited to that second input. And I feel like... You know, having the ability to build your own device from the ground up and present exactly exactly the kind of interface you want to just like right from the get go is potentially hugely appealing to Apple. And basically, right now they they have a whole bunch of unattractive options of doing that or partnering with a TV maker uh, or making a set top box. None of these are great, so they're kind of just stuck with a set top box because that's what they've been doing. And as for the upgrading every few years, I've got a solution for you, folks. Apple TV upgrade program. You just trade them in every year. Just new TVs. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that wouldn't be the most dangerous thing ever. Uh, all right. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic of the day, which comes from Lisa Schmeiser. Microsoft broke out the quantum computing at yesterday's Microsoft Ignite keynote. So describe using 140 characters or less what quantum computing is. <laughs> well, it's the test version of clockwise. It is not often that we're required to do homework like this for the show. Um, but here we are. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, so, no. so my... Go ahead. I mean, I'm probably the I'm probably the only one who who had to who had to who watched the keynote for work. And when we got to the part where Satya Nadella wheels out this Walker Prize winning mathematician, two physicists, and the head of quantum computing, and then sits them down on a round table, I was like, oh, my job as a journalist just got much much harder, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's so all do of my our job jobs. And explain what this is. <laughs> so. 
140 characters or less, that is that is a tough thing. What I will say is this. From the research that I did, uh, oh, in, in a normal research. computer, bits exist in a state of zero or one. Oh, and we did the same research. <laughs> All right. With, All right. with quantum bits uh, or qubits, they can, these, these individual bits can exist as both zero and one simultaneously or as just zero or as just one. And what that means is you can feed a computer this information and it can basically do a crap ton, almost like 3D processing, essentially. You have like, because it can exist in all of these different states, it can analyze all of that information at once, as opposed to having to just uh, take something in and then process it bit by bit. Is this a zero or is it a one? Is this a zero or is this a one? Is this a zero or is this a one? It has all of those different states that it can work with. So it makes computers faster and more powerful uh, because these bits can exist as both zero and one or zero or one all at the same time, which is pretty incredible. Hmm. Alex, your turn. <laughs> Quantum computing, colon, like binary computing, but better, period. <laughs> And that's what I'll be tweeting. Oh, that's great. Yes. Right. I, I felt like doing too much homework would be cheating. Um, and that, I think, is a decent tweet. It is a good tweet. Webster's Dictionary defines quantum oh, computing. <laughs> you fired. Uh, yeah, Alex, I think, stole my thunder in that one. Uh, my understanding is quantum computing uses sort of the positional information about electrons and people don't know where electrons are so there we go it's like it's like regular computing but more confusing uh it's, sure it's a computer where scott bacula does all your computing for you uh all i have are jokes i don't have any useful information other than what i will say is quantum leading like quantum computing from what my understanding is is like a totally orthogonal move in like computing it's mm -hmm. like so such a big logarithmic leap that it kind of has a lot of weird effects on current computing um not least of all which for years people have been talking about quantum computing and what it will change and i think the most in interesting potential effects are on cryptography where quantum computers can potentially crack like difficult cryptographic codes much much faster like mm -hmm. orders of magnitude faster than yeah. conventional computers and that is really dangerous however quantum computing potentially confers its own security benefits by making it really hard for people to intercept encrypted stuff because when you look at it it changes which is super weird uh thanks physics you guys are awesome yeah. You're at like negative 2,600 characters on that tweet. <laughs> Yours was pretty long too. I wasn't counting. Yep. <laughs> Buckle in, Colin Thread. <laughs> thread. How did we not think of that? Quantum threads. Oh my gosh, yeah. How'd we do, Lisa? You guys did wonderfully. I think the way I would basically explain quantum computing at this point is it's a new way to solve the problem of A, too much data, and B, productive analysis and deployment of that data. And by vastly increasing the amount of data that can be stored and vastly reducing the amount of time in which it can be processed, you will presumably come up with new ways in which to handle data and use it to affect the world around you. Well, that was awesome and succinct, and I can't wait to get my hands <laughs> on a quantum computer. Uh, right now, it is halftime here at Clockwise, and halftime is when we tell you about our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Eero. 
You know, with Eero, you never have to think about Wi-Fi again. Eero have created the dream Wi-Fi setup, a fast and reliable connection throughout your house, and hey, even in the backyard. And now is the best time to get on board with Eero because they've just released their new super slick second generation devices. Eero has just introduced their tri-band second generation model along with the Eero Beacon, allowing you to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. The second generation Eero includes a third five gigahertz radio, making it twice as fast as before. This is going to let you do more than ever. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero has the power to blink it to your entire home in fast and reliable Wi-Fi. It sits flat on any service. You just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you're ready to connect your Eero either with Ethernet or wirelessly. The new Eero also includes a thread radio, which lets you connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, and more. And Eero, of course, are introducing a new Eero beacon. You plug it into a wall and it expands coverage into any room. You can add as many Eero beacons as you want so long as you have that main Eero device. And guess what? It even has a built-in LED nightlight with ambient light sensor. Now the Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand and you can easily create and share a guest network too. So Eero customer support is fan friggin tastic you can call and get a hold of a wi-fi expert in just 30 seconds what i love about my Eero is in fact the beacons those beacons they have this little uh nightlight that's built into it right and when it's bright during the day that nightlight stays off but as soon as the lights go off in my house boop i've got along the hallway a nightlight to see where i'm going and in the bedroom a nightlight to get out of bed if i need to go use the restroom or get a drink of water what what have you i plug this device in and not only do i get wi-fi throughout my entire house but i also get that extra bit of light too it's an excellent feature that i promise you you're gonna love and it's all configurable so you can shut it off if you don't want it now the new Eero system starts at 399 for one second generation Generation Eero and two of those beacons, those ones with the nightlights built in. And that's everything you need to get started. Listeners of this very show can get free overnight shipping to the US or Canada when you head to Eero.com and use the promo code clockwise. That's Eero.com with the promo code clockwise for free overnight shipping. Thank you very much to Eero for their support of this show. And let's get back to it. That's it for halftime. Let's go to our third topic, which comes from Micah. All right. So TechCrunch uh, just put out, I think it was yesterday, uh, that Apple is switching and also has switched in many cases from Bing to Google for Siri and Spotlight search results. That means on iOS and macOS. Um, And I'm just wondering, uh, what is your search engine of choice, first of all? Do you use DuckDuckGo? or Yahoo, which relies on Bing. Um, And are you happy that Apple made this change to Google, or would you wish that they had stuck with Bing uh, so that Apple doesn't have even more search data on the population of iPhone users? Alex, we'll start with you. I try to use DuckDuckGo whenever I'm working on like a quote-unquote serious project. Um, but honestly, on iOS, uh, I'm, I'm not. I should clarify, like on my phone when I'm just kind of messing around, I've accepted that Google knows how many times I've like searched for gifts of Grey's Anatomy. Um, <laughs> and I honestly, for most folks. Google is the better answer. Bing has never worked great for me. Um, so I'm ultimately happy with this change. And I've, I've sort of accepted the fate 
of Alphabet owning everything. And I I almost feel like um, this hopefully will bring even more attention uh, to Google and attention to folks who might not know that they are the they're the product, not the customer, and just be more conscious about their security and privacy. Yeah, this is a tough bargain because it's one of those things where Apple wants to provide the best experience and the best product for its user. And I think that's unqualifiedly Google in the search market. It just, they, they, for regardless of their business practices, setting that aside, they offer the best search engine and handicapping that to basically allow for, you know, a, a different monetary income, like a strategy, like selling this to Microsoft instead by using Bing, licensing that. Or, you know, making a a moral stand by saying we don't agree with Google is really just not a very good argument for the end users, the people who end up using these things. So to me, switching to Google is smart because it is the best option available. It does come with its drawbacks and its downsides, especially if you're concerned about Google's uh, privacy or lack thereof when it comes to your personal information. But I think, you know, from an Apple standpoint, it makes the most sense unless they're going to go out there and build their own search engine, which they're not going to do. (laughs) Uh, Then perhaps Google is the best option. I know people at Microsoft who don't even use Bing. So if you can't get your own people to eat dog food, good luck. So, you know, I cover Microsoft and one of... And no, one of the most interesting things about the company is Bing has had really steady growth for like 11 quarters straight. And it's it's been kind of a quite success story. Like they actually have had more in, court, in, in revenue than say Yahoo, which was ostensibly a search company for a while had. Um, <clears throat> and their image search is really, really good. So that said, I feel like this move is actually worse for Microsoft than for almost anybody else because it will probably affect um, their their user count, their their ad serving abilities, and and the data that they're selling to advertisers. Personally speaking, I use Google. I'm a little uneasy with how much I use Google, and um, but until something else comes along that works as well, that's where we are. And if it actually improves my ability to find things on my computer, I'm kind of okay with it. So, I mean, that's like one of the number one things you do on your computer is look for stuff that you've had you've stored on your computer previously. So, uh, you know, from a from a journalist and ooh, this is a good story standpoint, I'm like, oh, this is very concerning. But from like um, a human being who uses computer standpoint, all I really want is good search. Yeah, uh, I think that's where I am with it. I, I want I want my search to be good. I want my search to turn up exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, interestingly. Uh, Siri is still using Bing's image search platform. So even though the rest of it might uh, work with Google, if you ask Siri to show you an image, it's going to come via Bing. Uh, Microsoft put out a statement kind of talking about it and saying that they're going to keep working at it and make it better. And perhaps Apple and them will partner again in the future for this. But yeah, ultimately what I want is a consistent experience. And when it comes to asking Siri questions, which I very rarely do anyway, All I want is the answer that I'm looking for. I don't think about who's behind it, unless it fails, in which case I'm wanting phone numbers and addresses so I can deal with that person. Uh, (laughs) So I know I've got your address, Bing, and I'm coming for you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, so that's, that's how I feel about it. As long as it works, I don't care who's providing the results. Alex, it is time for your question. What do you got for us? 
All right. Well, we knew this was coming for a while, but iOS 11 breaks a lot um, of apps because of, is it 64-bit or 32-bit? It goes, it's going, right? yeah. It's killing 32-bit yeah. apps. It's 32. Yeah. What would 64, how could that go away? Um, anyway, <laughs> the the biggest sadness to me is is uh, all of the legacy games that are going away. So I'm wondering, are there any classic iOS games that you're going to miss? Uh, yeah, uh, a few, although some came through with like 11th hour upgrades. And so it seems like there, some got a, uh, a pardon there, but one that I came across as I was looking through my list of old apps that are incompatible, which you can find in the, uh, about screen in iOS was I used to have a version of Prince of Persia, like a port of the old, like wow. Mac version I had. And it was actually pretty good. And even though I was still terrible at it, which, which is what convinced me it was an accurate port because I, I had gotten no better than I was when I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> um so it was a really really cool port um i think it may have disappeared from the app store previous to that because i can't find any reference to it now whatsoever other than it's in that list of things but yeah it was a really good prince of purge port it was a lot of fun to play on the ipad or the iphone and it, it seems like it will never be updated and alas it is gone forever consigned to the dustbin of 32-bit apps i have to be honest i have to avoid any and all games period um i'm a pretty highly addictive personality in 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 some aspects. Um, and I knew that if I ever got into any games on a mobile device, I would never look up from the device <laughs> and I would never get anything done. And this is why I had to uninstall dots like a day after I got it. <laughs> no, I had to recharge like my phone like twice over a 10 hour period because I was just playing constantly. So, um, I'm sure if I had let myself give in to my 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 worst instincts and play games, I'm sure I would have a whole list um, that I would be sobbing out. But I had to sidestep all of that in the interest of maintaining employment and um, <laughs> gainful adulthood and and other things that I'm told by society benefit me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> Um, no, I, this, this didn't affect me. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't play games really at all. <laughs> um, and so I didn't have any, a long time ago, whenever we started to first hear about this, Apple added a little feature to iOS where you could go through and see sort of what apps hadn't updated yet. So you could have a list of, of things where you could send the developer, you know, an email saying, Hey, I see that this isn't updated, but I really love it. I didn't have any apps on my phone that were 32 bit. Um, and I, again, I don't tinge to keep any games on there. Um, I, and in fact, it has, I've never really played games on there until recently, whenever I've downloaded a few AR kit games, but I imagine those will be gone within a, a couple weeks because I just don't keep them on my phone. So I lucked out here that my interests didn't align with Apple's interest in killing a whole bunch of apps. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't affect me. Uh, well, like Lisa, I have a very addictive personality. However, I just indulge in it constantly. <laughs> lean, lean in, Alex. Lean in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> deep, deep face closer to the screen. Um, but this, it, it, it got me all nostalgic because really, like for me, iOS is um, important. Like the games there are just as important as kids in the 80s and 90s, um, like their Game Boys were. And I was thinking about all of um, So uh, I have a short list of my favorites. Um, Wordle, Bitpilot, mm. Forget Me Not, which is a very recent puzzle game. Um, the classic version of Peggle before uh, it, EA ruined it. Um, and <laughs> Topple, Zenbound, which was often featured in Apple Keynotes. Mm. Um 
And Tale of Tales, which uh, has this game called Luxuria Superbia, where uh, let's just say it's sort of an an analogy for a crevice that you go into and you need to um, stimulate the crevice (laughs) of this game in order to reach a the big boss or climax, if you will. Um, And and, uh, Tale of Tales. There's no children listening while you talk about this game. It's just a tunnel it's just a tunnel they're very i mean it's it's on the ios it's on the app store so it's fine um and their tale of tales which is this very artsy great game company that i'm a big fan of sort of made this argument of like well these are games that you you don't I mean, you can argue whether or not they should or shouldn't get rid of them, but like these are games that maybe developers don't necessarily want to update. Um, I know Cannibalt and Ridiculous Fishing, like Dan said, 11th Hour came in with... um, updates but cannibalt is something that like even our friend merlin man who doesn't play (laughs) says he doesn't play video games that was a a huge thing for him so i'm lamenting the lack of uh of especially wordle that was the first game i ever got back on the uh jailbroken you know city store oh so many good games lost like tears in the rain uh (laughs) (laughs) thanks for that topic um we've got just (laughs) enough time for a bonus topic but first let me tell you about who brings you that fabulous bonus topic this week that would be our friends at linode linode has fast and powerful hosting options that you can get set up in seconds their tools are easy to understand and they let you choose your resources and linux distribution giving you the power and flexibility that you need best of all linode plans now start at just five dollars a month for a linux server with a gigabyte of ram in the linode cloud Linode has over 400,000 customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, call them, or even chat over IRC in the Linode community. They probably take smoke signals and pigeon, you know, deliveries as well. Uh, If you need help, Linode's there for you. Their control panel is beautifully designed with a focus on ease and simplicity. It allows you to deploy boot, resize, and clone in just a few clicks. They have comprehensive guides and support documentation to teach you everything you need to know about setting up and managing your virtual servers. And they feature two-factor authentication to keep you safe. You can create snapshot images of your disk volumes for backup and replication. Linode is the full package for your server infrastructure needs. They have the power you require as well as the infrastructure and assistance you want. And as I mentioned up top, Linode has fantastic pricing options available. You can get a server with a gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month. You can go all the way up to 16 gigabytes of RAM for just $60 a month. Across the board, Linode offers twice the amount of RAM you'll get elsewhere. And as a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash clockwise, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there is absolutely nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use the promo code clockwise2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting this show in Relay FM. And now for this week's bonus question, my question for you is, what was your favorite book as a kid? Lisa? You know, you've just asked me the world's hardest question. Was a <laughs> what were some of your favorite books as a kid? Keep okay, it to an ordered list, less than three books long. <laughs> so three books or fewer, that's what we're looking at? Sure. Because um, if that's the case, I would have to say it was The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton mm. Jester. Um, a Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. Uh. 
and um, Beat the Turtle Drum by Constance C. Green, because it was one of the first books that was um, that, that showed that you could actually have levity when you were discussing serious topics. And it was pretty vital as a kid to find a book that wasn't all po-faced and earnest or, or relying exclusively on wry humor. Uh, there was this book called Luxuria Superbia. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I kid, I kid. Uh, a Wrinkle in Time is actually on my list as well. I remember uh, our teacher introduced us to that book, and I absolutely adored it. Um, selfishly, one of my favorite books as a very young youngster was a book. That, it was a Winnie the Pooh book, but my name was actually in it. So my parents had ordered a book that included, you know, you could include your child in the story. And I remember reading through it, and then suddenly there was Micah, like, walking along with Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin, and I started bawling. I thought it was so cool. So uh, that Aww. holds a very special place in my heart. I mean, I want to say Harry Potter, but I'm not going to say Harry Potter. Just everyone read Harry Potter. Um, mm-hmm. I, immediately, though, what came into my mind was the Westing game by Ooh, Ellen Raskin. Great book. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's another and- good one. I, I still like read it every few years. It's one of my favorite um, mystery novels. It starts with a bunch of like everyone's everyone has been summoned to uh, this mansion sort of tropiness. But I promise it is wonderful. And if, even if you are adult, an adult, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I also thought about like kid, kid, Lil can't actually read on my own kid. Um, there's a picture book called Tales of a Gambling Grandma um, and <laughs> <laughs> by Dale Carr Calsa, and it's just this really great story about um, this young woman's relationship with her grandmother, and it reminded me uh, reminded me a lot about um, my relationship with uh, my grandparents, and it's really heartwarming and funny. Excellent. Uh, for me, like Lisa, too many to pick, but I will just single out one, um, and that is The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper, which is a fantastic fantasy series uh, and basically involves a lot of Welsh mythology. And uh, that book stuck in my head many, many years after I read it. I've read it several times since then, uh, and it is just fantastic. Do not watch the movie adaptation because I hear it is garbage. <laughs> um, but yeah, find that book, read it. It's it's wonderful. And with that, we're at the end of the show. So all that remains is for us to thank our guests. Lisa Schmeiser, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And Alex Cox, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> and Micah Sargent, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Dan, thank you for being here, pal. Oh, what a pleasure. <laughs> and we thank our <laughs> listeners for being here as well. And until next time, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.